Y'all overcomplicate with me a little bit. I, I, I'm worse about that. I, I get going on something, and I'm kind of like a perfectionist, and, and it's one of my flaws. I, I want things to be just right. I want it to go a certain way sometimes. And the problem is, is my wife's the same way. <laughs> and uh, But it's good. It works out. There will be times that I, I work on something, and I, I work through it, and I'm like, no, I think through it, and I think, no, we got to do it this way because this will happen. And then I'll work through it, and I'll say, no, this got to be this way because that will happen. And then I start going through it over and over again, change it four or five times, and then Jacqueline walks in the room, and she says, why don't you just do it this way? And it's the simplest thing I ever heard, and it's perfect, and it makes sense after I spent 30 minutes thinking through it and overcomplicating it. Anybody with me? Are you there to admit it with me? <laughs> I, I, I overcomplicate things sometimes. We, we struggle with taking things at face value, I think. We live in a world where a lot of communications with text messages. And that's not the same as letters, and it's not the same as emails. It's a totally different ballgame, isn't it? Text messages is kind of like a brief way of just saying something real direct to the point, a lot of times real simple, and you get going. And what it's caused, I've learned, especially in the ministry as I receive a lot of text messages, is, is I overcomplicate them sometimes. Instead of just saying, oh, that's what they meant by that because that's what they said, you start going, well, I wonder if they really said that because of this. I wonder if they're really upset and they said it this way. Well, they didn't use that emoji. They used this emoji, so that must mean this. Well, they didn't use an emoji at all, so they're really mad. Or it's all capital letters, so they're like screaming at me. And so you start going through all these different thoughts with text messages. And you overcomplicate them and you say, hey, I just want to make sure. What did you mean when you sent that to me? I meant what it said. It was simple. <laughs> right? That's usually what it comes back to. We struggle with overcomplicating things. I think the gospel is not exempt from that. I think we can struggle with overcomplicating the gospel at times. In fact, there's whole camps of the gospel has to be understood this way, the gospel has to be understood this way, or it has to be proclaimed this way, or it has to be shown this way. You can't give an invitation at the end. You can, and you must give an invitation at the end. All the different things we talk about when we talk about the gospel, I think we overcomplicate it sometimes. And so what I want to do so I want to hold that football or that basketball out and say, let's go back to the basics this morning. Let's go back to the basics. Let's hold the gospel out before us and say, what is it? Let's go back to the basics a little bit. What are some things we need to learn about the gospel? Just reminding ourselves of them. So that's the title today of the message, Back to the Basics of the Gospel. And that's what Paul's really doing in 1 Corinthians 15. As you've been following along through Corinthians with me, we're in 1 Corinthians 15, and he had spent all this time, we've been through this journey together, talked about some ethical issues, some moral issues, some, some theological issues, and, and they've been asking him all these different questions about idols offered, or food offered to idols, about sexual morality, about and all these different things, the Lord's Supper. He's been walking through all of that and kind of walking through and correcting them even and, and addressing things, all these different issues. But at the end of the book, we only got one more chapter left after 15. At the end of the letter, he says, all right, let's get back to the basics. He wraps it all back up. He says, all that we've talked about, it really comes back to Is the gospel is something we should declare. Isn't that simple, church? The gospel is something that we should declare. You see... The gospel itself means good news, right? And so how good of news is it if it's never shared? Are you with me? 
I mean, in and of itself, to be news, it has to be received. And for something to be received, it has to be declared or it has to be shared. And so we come around talking and gather around talking about the gospel all the time. But, but the reality is, is if the gospel, the good news, is not declared, it's not good news for anyone. Amen? It must be declared. It's something that we declare. It's what Paul starts off here and says, I declare to you the gospel. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Again, if you're there, say amen. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. Did you hear it? Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And so here, right off the bat, Paul's saying, I declare to you the gospel. And he says, it's not just any gospel. It's not that we just have all these multiple different gospels, and I declare just one of those to you. He says, no, I declare to you the gospel. And he starts giving these clarifications. He says, the one I preached to you. So let's look through these that he says. First off, the the one gospel is the one that Paul preached to us. And we have had the blessing of being able to walk through this over the last year and a half. Since we started this series gospel and motions. Y'all realize we're still in that series that happened back in 2019. We're still in the series, the gospel in motion, and we've been walking through the book of Acts, and then we jump into these letters as Paul wrote these letters. And so we've had the privilege of walking through and seeing the exact gospel that Paul has preached. When he says, the one I preach to you, we should be going, yes, I understand what you're saying, because for the last year, Paul has been preaching this gospel to us. Amen? And so the one I have preached to you, and we've watched him go across the whole ancient world from Iconium to Derby to Lystra, and then you see all these letters in which he he went to and declared. You have Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians. It's the gospel in which he entrusted to Timothy and Titus as you walk through. It's the gospel, he says, that I preach to you, the one which we say is in Christ. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. Paul devoted his entire life to preach this gospel, church. Devoted his entire life to this gospel. He says, the one I've preached to you. But then he goes on and says, the one in which you received. You see, the gospel is a gift from the Lord. Amen? And gifts are kind of interesting. I could tell every one of y'all, I could actually not only tell you, but I could actually gift it to you. I could take a $100 bill out of my wallet. Well, it's not in there right now, but... If I had a $100 bill in my wallet, I could take that baby out. I could pop it up here and say, I give that to you. And if you leave this place without grabbing it, does it do you any good? No, it's just $100 that I gave to you, but that you don't have, that you can't spend, that you can't use, that you can't put in your wallet. It's, it's worthless to you. When you think about the gospel, it's a gift from the Lord. It's a gift to us. It's got to be received. He says, the one I preach to you and the one you received. It's got to be received. John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believed in his name. You see, I think we've made a mistake in the churches of making salvation all about believing. You've got to accept these truths, and that makes you saved. Just believe it. It's not the gospel. The demons themselves believe, church. tells us in the word that. It's something we believe and it's something we receive. He says, those who received me became children of God. 
And that happens through faith by the Spirit. And he says, not only do you receive it, but what else does he say? The one in which you stand on. Meaning, I think I get the idea that it's not just this one-time decision that you work off of. It's not just this idea of, of salvation and the gospel. It's just not this one-time event. It's, it's a living reality, a posture that you take before Christ as he being your God and you being one with him, his child. Amen? So you stand upon that. We put our hope in this good news. We, we find strength and stability. You know like when your knees are weak? And you struggle, church. Have you ever been there where your knees are literally weak and you feel like you cannot stand? You can stand on the gospel because it is what gives you strength. It's what gives you stability as your knees are shaking, as you're struggling. We stand upon it. Not only do you stand upon it, but here's the key. It's the gospel which you are saved by. Praise the Lord, church. Y'all just sung about it. It was great to hear everybody singing too. That just blesses my heart when I hear us singing about how we got saved. We got saved. That's how we got saved, by the gospel. He says, which you were saved by. But I want us to come to something that's really interesting here. Because something follows that statement. It's kind of interesting because it sounds a little different than what we talk about. It's an if statement. He says, which you were saved by. And look at, look at this. It says, if you hold fast that word, talking about the gospel, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. What does that mean, church? What does it mean if you, you, you hold fast to the word? You're saved if. That, that I struggle my spirit with that language, but it's the word of God. What does it mean to be saved? Does that mean that my salvation is conditional on me, conditioned on my efforts, conditioned on what I do? What face value we might think, well, maybe that's what it says. It says if you hold fast to the word. So if you don't hold fast to the word, are we saved? What is it getting at here? And I believe I can hopefully see the spirit give a little insight here. I believe a Christian salvation is better understood as conditioned rather than conditional. Let that sink in for a moment. I want to explain that. I believe that our salvation is better understood as conditioned rather than conditional. Because the truth is, if it was conditional on our efforts, we would be in a world of mess, wouldn't we, church? Because if it was left to our efforts, none of us would be saved. That's the gospel message. That's the fact that, of the scriptures. If you read through Romans, it tells us that we're all short and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We can't do it on our own. So, so what does that statement mean, the if idea here? Because that would go against even what Paul writes in Ephesians when he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself, so that any may not boast. If it was up to us, then we'd have a, a way of boasting about it, wouldn't we, church? So I believe our salvation is rather conditioned by the work of God and through us by the Spirit. I think about children and parenting. Y'all are getting a lot of parenting illustrations now. Have y'all realized that? My house has changed. Um, you, you can, parenting's kind of like conditioning them, right? You're conditioning them to know how to, how to be kind, you're conditioning them to know how to be patient, like this morning. You're conditioning them to know how to love. You're conditioning them to know what it means to be loved. You're conditioning them as you're parenting. And, and, and I think that's the way it is with God. When the Spirit moves in and transforms our heart, He starts conditioning us. It's not so much conditional if we do this. Now, the truth is, is when He does condition us, those results follow. We do hold fast to the Word. Amen? The Bible talks about that in other places. It says if, if we hold fast to the Word here, it says if you endure to the end, you will be saved in another place. You see this language, but the fact is it's because of what He's done, not because of us. 
We will only hold fast to the word, to the gospel, if the spirit has transformed our hearts and resides in us, giving us a desire to trust and obey. That's the only time we hold fast is if the spirit's at work in our hearts. Amen, church? So, salvation's got to be understood, again, not as a one-time decision, but it's, it's, it's not over and just decided. Salvation is a supernatural, grace-filled living reality. A living reality of, of recognizing that our core has been changed. Our heart has been changed. And it puts that desire again within us that fights against the flesh as we yield to the spirit. There's a fight against the flesh. Amen. I fight that flesh. But it's when I yield to the spirit that I see this condition that I'm talking about. So the gospel is one to be declared. And he says, the one that's to be declared is the one that's uh, uh, preached to you. The one that's received. The one that we are to stand upon. The one which we are saved by. So that's how he starts it off. So that's the first, though, couple of verses. We still got a whole chapter to get through. Amen? So, but it's loaded here at the beginning. There's so much here when he says, I've declared to you the gospel. Something else I think, it's another reason I think it's important to declare this is because the gospel in and of itself is a reliable testimony. It is a reliable testimony. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. There's amen. If you're there, say amen. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and after that he was seen over by, by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he has seen, was seen by James, and then by the apostles, and then, last of all, he was seen by me also, by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, whom I am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me is not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Paul's saying the gospel is a testimony. It's a testimony for us. It's evidence. What is a testimony? A testimony is, is a form of evidence that's obtained by a witness. Right? You think about someone that, that got in trouble and they're at the courts and there's someone to testify. They witness something. And so it's evidence of, 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 uh, so that's been attained by a witness. And so the gospel is evidence in and of itself of a living, working, graceful God. Is that right? Yeah, so it's evidence of that. And so for there to be evidence, though, and for this to be evidence, there's a witness. And so the witness here is Paul. You see what he says? He says, I delivered to you first of all which I received. Paul says, I'm a witness of this. It's a testimony. I've witnessed it. Not only I, but so many others have witnessed this. And so I, I think this is really interesting when he starts walking through this because he says, I delivered to you which, that which I received. Now, who did he receive it by? Well, our instinct might think, well, he received it by the other apostles or other men, but that's not true. Paul received it from the Lord himself by revelation. That's so important, church. In Galatians, if you remember when we were going back through that, he says, For I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul was a witness, and the, what he witnessed came from the Lord Jesus. Church, if we could get this right, things would look a whole lot different. 
I think about a testimony, and, and you think about people witnessing something, and when you have multiple witnesses, that they, 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 it should be the same, right? What this person witnesses and what this person witnesses should line up. That's what the judge looks for a lot of times to see if a witness lines up. Well, if we got the source right what, and, and realized that, that this revelation comes from the Lord, and that's what we have witnessed and that's what we share, I think the church would be a lot more united than it is today. But unfortunately, what happens with pastors and other church members and other things is we hear something from men and we pass it along without even testing if it's from the Lord. And that's why we're in a world of mess with the churches. We've got to see the source is Jesus Christ. And so Paul's the witness, but for that to be, for him to be a witness, there's something that he his death. Now, I, I, again, back to the basics, right? This is simple. There's a purpose for Jesus's death. He didn't just say, I want to play the odds. I want to come down from heaven as God and as man and just kind of see if they're going to receive me or see if they're going to reject me. He didn't say, I just want to kind of get a feel for them. I want to see how they live life down there. He didn't say, I just want to play the odds. No, he had a plan and a purpose for coming and that was to die. Amen? He had a plan and a purpose. There's purpose to his death that, that, that he, he would conquer sin. Not just forgive our sins, but he would conquer it. He would conquer death. There's purpose for that. And then we see according to the scriptures. This is why it's so important. To, uh, uh, th this little tagline that he puts on there is essential to the gospel. According to the scriptures. Because sometimes if I was to ask you as I came in here, what's the gospel? Many of us might automatically say, well, Jesus... Came perfectly, died, and raised from the grave. His death, burial, and resurrection. That's what we want to say. And we say, it says it right here. That's what it says. But that, there's more. According to the scriptures. What does that mean for us? That means that, yes, it was the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But it's been God's gospel plan and his plan of redemption from the very beginning of time. Before the foundation of the world was set, he had planned for there to be redemption for us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. He died for a reason, according to the scriptures. He then says he was buried and rose again. A key, according to the scriptures. The Bible points that to this gospel message. It's a testimony. It's evidence of a God that's been at work from the very beginning of time. By his grace, we have a written account of that. Right? From Genesis to Revelation, we have a written account of God's redemptive plan. That's the gospel. Paul says, to top it all off, I'm not the only one that witnessed it. He said, then the risen Jesus went to Cephas, and then he went to the twelve. And then not only that, but he, he came before 500 men, who most of them are still alive today, he says. That kind of puts a whole damper in the hallucination theory. There's a thought that, well, these disciples hallucinated a risen Jesus. No, he didn't. 500 were running around saying, no, I saw him. I saw him. And then he goes and, 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 and meets with James, and you see, then he goes to the other apostles, and then last, he's seen by Paul. When did that happen? Paul comes in the story way later, after Jesus already ascended. So how did Jesus see, or how did Paul see the risen Jesus? Well, you remember the little Acts 9 story? Where Paul was on his road to Damascus, and a bright light comes down, and and. and Jesus starts asking Paul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And so I think there's a lot more to that story than what Luke records for us there. 
some way or another through that. And then I don't think it was only that, but he goes up and leaves after he's um, about to be killed in Jerusalem. They send him up, and, and he goes and spends time in the Word of God. And so God, through his word and through that revelation on Damascus Road, revealed to him this story. And then he confirms it with the apostles later on. It's just another miraculous thing that we see. And so he says, there's more witnesses. There's more. And then the last thing I want us to catch with this is that the call to witness and testify the gospel is purely by the grace of God. Our calling to witness the gospel and our calling to testify the gospel is purely by the grace of God. And we, we have been called to do it. We shouldn't take that lightly. God has called you to see him. Do you understand what that means? God has called you to see him, to know him, and then to share it with the world. What a blessing that is. We can't just skip over that. It's a blessing by God's grace. I think sometimes we start looking around and we get prideful. Sometimes we start looking around and we start to think that we had something to do with getting our bottoms on these pews. When the reality is, is the reason you're sitting in here today, hearing God's message, hearing his word, proclaiming uh, this word being proclaimed, singing of it, singing and witnessing a baptism. The only reason any of that is a part of your life today is by God's grace. By God's grace. I want you to hear me closely. You are not a drug addict only by the grace of God. You are not a drunkard only by the grace of God. You are not a homosexual only by the grace of God. You are not a perpetual liar only by the grace of God. You're not an adulterer only by the grace of God. You're not a thief only by the grace of God. You're not vengeful only because of the grace of God. Only because of the grace of God. We look at these people sometimes around us and we say, I'm so thankful I'm where I'm at. And we start to thinking that we had something to do with it. It was all of our choices and all of our, our, our staying away from certain people and all that that we talk about a lot of time. We take all the ownership for where we are. But I want you to hear me closely. It is only by the grace of God that you're here. If you remember 1 Corinthians 6, Paul said, And such were you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified by Jesus our Lord and by the Spirit of our God, such were you. The homosexual, the liar, the thief, the drunkard, the vengeful, the adulterer, whoever it is, you were such apart from Jesus. The problem, I think, is where we, we come to these, this, the, these that I'm just talking about here, and some of those might describe us a little more than we like. So what do we do with that? I want to tell you what to do with that this morning. If you're here and you say, that describes me, no matter what it is, run to Jesus and let him wash you. Let him sanctify you. Let him justify you by the blood of Jesus, our Lord, and by the Spirit of God. Run to Jesus. He can free you and cleanse you of those things that are holding you that seem so impossible to let go. You have battled it, and you've done so good, and then you struggle, and then you do so good, and then you struggle. Let Jesus set you free this morning, church. Let him set you free. That's the gospel. By God's grace that we are allowed to be citizens of the kingdom. By God's grace we are to be servants of the kingdom. It is something to be declared. The gospel is. And so then he goes into this next list here. The next verses. And he says back to the basics. The gospel is to be declared. 
But not only that, the second point this morning is the gospel hinges on the resurrection. It hinges on the resurrection. There was people there at the time that affirmed Jesus but denied the resurrection of the dead. And so he's going to address that and look at it. Chapter 15, verse 12, if you're there, say amen. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If there's not resurrection of the dead, I'm sorry, then Christ is not risen. Verse 14. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ. Whom did not raise, is what you say. In fact, the dead do not raise. If, in fact. Verse 16. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, no resurrection, but in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are among men to be the most pitied, the most pitiful. Paul argues and says that denying the resurrection has detrimental problems to the gospel. This is a good Look forward to the Easter in two weeks. The resurrection. He says, if there's no resurrection of dead, that means Christ is not risen. If you say Christ is not risen, then our preaching is worthless. And in fact, your faith is worthless. And not only is our preaching worthless, but we are liars. Because we say that Christ is raised. And if we believe there's no resurrection of the dead, then that makes us false witnesses. Liars. He says, in the worst of all, you are still in your sin. And then he says, those that have died before us in Christ, if Christ is not raised, then they have perished. Your loved ones, the ones that have loved Jesus and been martyred because of their faith in Jesus, if he has not raised, if there is no resurrection, then they have perished. And it was worthless, is what he's saying here. Church, Paul says, these are to be the most pitied. And I want us to think about this for a second, because today, I think in the church, and maybe some of us in here today, we affirm the church and we affirm Jesus yeah, he, he taught good. He's got good things about love and grace, and, and, and I want to be about that. I affirm the church. The church does good things. It goes on missions. It helps the community. I affirm those things. But if you deny the resurrection, the miraculous event of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection according to the scriptures, if you deny it, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins, and it doesn't matter what you think about the church. I don't want to be there, church. I don't want you to be there. I don't want you to come to church and enjoy being in the church all your life to only end perishing in hell because you did not accept the resurrection. It hinges, the gospel hinges on the resurrection. But Paul says all of this is nonsense. That's, what he, he, that's how he transitions. This is nonsense. Christ has been raised. Look at verse 20 with me. Chapter 15, verse 20 says, But now Christ is risen from the dead. It's nonsense. Yes, he is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. He calls Jesus the resurrection, first fruits, the first fruits of it. And he says, in Adam we all entered into sin, in Christ we all enter into the resurrection of death and then into life. Praise the Lord, church. But then he goes on and he starts mentioning some of the events of Christ's return. So look at me, look with me, I mean, verse 23, if you're there, say amen. But each one in his own order. 
Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy, listen church, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who puts all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Verse 29, otherwise, what, what will they do who are baptized from de- the dead? If the dead are not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If the manner of men I have fought with a beast at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If, if the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, and tomorrow we will die. Do not be deceived, though. Evil company corrupts good habits. He says, awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. And I speak this to your shame. I believe here with this section and what it's going to get to in a little bit, we can get caught up and lost in the event of Christ's return. I don't want to get lost there with you. I don't want to get distracted from what Paul's saying. I don't want to get caught up in the event of Christ's return. I want to get caught up in the reality that comes with the return of Christ. I want to get caught up with the reality that comes with the return. And that reality is is that he has authority over all things and that death will be defeated. And he gives some illustrations. I want to read through this with you. Verse 35, he gives some illustrations of the gospel. He says, but someone will say, how are the dead to raise up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that the body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and each seed to its own body. And all flesh is not the same, but there are a kind of flesh of men, there's another kind of of flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. And there are also celestial bodies, terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in its glory. So as also the resurrection of the dead, the body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption, and sown in dishonor, raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and raised in power. It is sown as a natural body and raised as a spiritual body. There is natural body and then there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a living, giving spirit. Paul says, here's some simple illustrations of the resurrection. He says, think about wheat. He says, you got the wheat, how does it come about? Well, the wheat dies, and then the grain goes in the ground, and then the sprouts up with another body. It must die first. He says, think about flesh of animals versus flesh of humans versus flesh of birds versus flesh of of fish. He says, if God can make different bodies here in earth, how much more so can he make a spiritual body of the resurrection? He says, how how do you not understand this? He says, it's sown in corruption, but then given in incorruption, dishonor to glory, and then weakness to power, and the natural body, then the spiritual body. And then he shows how this has been the plan from the beginning. Verse 46. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. God is just saying, I've revealed it to you in order. From the time of Adam to Christ. 
There has been a, a place where we bear the image of Adam in sin, but now we get to bear the image of Christ. That's all he's saying here. But the last thing I want to close on here, church, is the final victory. And this is where it gets good. The final victory. The celebration of the final victory. That's the back to the basics. The gospel brings about a final victory. Third point, the gospel brings about a final victory. We're going to finish up the chapter here. Verse 50, if you're there, say amen. If you're listening, say, I'm listening. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and they will be changed. For this incorruptible, or this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass this saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Let you hear that, church. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus. Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Again, church, this is Christ's return. It's glorious. There's something exciting happening here where we're the ones that are still here when he returns will be changed in a twinkling of an eye. We see the resurrection, the key of all that, but I don't want to get distracted by the event. I want us to catch the reality. The reality is that there's a final victory over death. He says we have victory in Jesus, and he's quoting from Isaiah. Listen to this passage from Isaiah. I got it on the screen. Isaiah 25, he's talking about heaven being a place of a feast with the Lord. And so it says, and in this mountain, verse chapter 25 of Isaiah, verse 6 on the screen, here's what it says. And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines of the lees, a fat for full of marrow and well-refined wines on the lees. And he will destroy us on the mountain, destroy on the mountain, not us. He will destroy on the mountain, listen, the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away every tear and faces and the rebuke of his people he will take away from the earth for the Lord has spoken and it will be said on that day behold this is God our God, we have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him and we'll be glad and rejoice in his salvation. It's this banquet. And he says something else. This, you know, the Bible kind of has quotes and then pre-quotes because God does some awesome things sometimes. So Paul is quoting from Isaiah, but it's kind of like a pre-quote to the vision John gets in Revelation. I want to read it to you. In Revelation, John saw a vision of heaven. I saw, in verse chapter 21, one says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be there and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. They shall be no more death, no sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he sat on the throne. Behold, I make all things new. He said, write down these things that are true and faithful. And he said to them, it is done. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountains of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God and shall be my son. There's a thing with parenting when kids come to you and they're crying 
that special mark of wiping a tear away. You all know what I'm talking about? There's something special about wiping a tear. God's going to wipe every one of our tears one day. There'll be no more death. It'll be swallowed up. Death has made havoc on us. You all realize that? It's made havoc on us. I want to just share something with you. Let's get back to the basics. There's a final victory of the gospel. And that's that death is conquered. Church, I want you to hear me. Death is conquered. All of our pain and our struggles, uh, a lot of times it can all point back to death in some way. The grief that we feel because of losing a loved one. This fear of dying because of an illness that we have. All the different ways that, that death has affected us. It's insurmountable. But God has victory over that. Church, I want you to hear me very clearly. I was terrified yesterday morning. When I woke up, and I can't get this picture out of my head, church. When I woke up and I saw my wife sitting on the ground and her head over the toilet, not being able to move. And I walked in there and her, I just want you to understand, I'm being a little graphic, but I want you to understand. Her eyes rolled back in her head, and her tongue swollen up, and her arms and feet completely purple. And she wasn't hardly breathing. <gasps> Stopped breathing for a while. Church, I was terrified of death. I've been around bodies that's fainted a lot. It's not that. This was different. She was dying right before me. She got in a position where her blood pressure kept dropping and dropping and dropping, and it would have just continued is what the doctor said if she didn't move. She was dying for me, and I, I just remember being completely lost in a moment of, of, what if I lose my wife? But there's a truth that I find in this word this morning. Even if she did pass away, God would have had victory over that death. Amen, Jason? He has victory over death. Let's get back to the basics, church. If you're here today just because it's the churchy thing to do and you affirm the church and you affirm Jesus, but you've never really saw the reality that happens when you receive the gospel message and it transforms your heart, today's the day of salvation and it needs to happen. Turn to Jesus, run to him, let him cleanse you, let him sanctify you, let him justify you. Such were you, but we no longer have to be there. We can be saved by the blood of Jesus, church, and we can have victory over death. Father God, Lord, I pray that the Spirit would move in such a way right now in our hearts, Lord Jesus. God, I've been so overwhelmed uh, this weekend with just the reality of, of what might have today look like if I did lose my wife, if death did come into my home. God, but I'm so thankful for the hope that I have in you, Jesus. That no matter what, you have victory over that, God. Lord, I pray that us in here that are grieving today, Lord, that we would recognize the victory that is over death, even though there's a hole, a gaping hole that might be there, God. You have victory over that, and one day there's a great celebration that's going to occur, a feast, and which will be in your presence, and we'll be in the presence of them too, Lord. You'll wipe away every tear, every cry, Lord. Lord, let that reality be made known to us today, but it comes through the basics of the gospel. Lord, by the grace of God, 
through faith in Jesus, would we call on the name of Jesus today? Would you bring about salvation today, Lord? Would you do it, Lord, not for our glory, but for your glory, Lord? This is all your redemptive plan. This is all to glorify your name, God. Would you bring about salvation for your name today? And let us rejoice today. We love you, Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you would stand with us. I'm not going to sing today. I'm going to let Clayton and play it. But just kind of bow your head and examine your heart with what the message Brother Jerry brought today because uh, he hit the nail right on the head. And if you don't know God, today's your day. Come knowing now. Come see this man. He'll talk to you. Come talk to me. I'll talk. I ain't too good to talk. receive this morning receive the gospel receive Christ if you need to just come and claim victory over death come to the altar and claim that victory rejoice in the victory you have in Jesus if you're too ashamed because those titles of being an addict or a drunk or a homosexual or a liar. I want you to know that Jesus wants to come right now, right now, into your heart and transform you. He wants to change you for His glory, to make you look more like Christ, to cleanse you and to justify you. Would the Spirit move right now to bring about salvation? Or maybe just freedom from sin. The flesh has taken over and you need to yield to the Spirit. And today's the day that you feel like He's given you freedom over that. Let's not make it too complicated. God's going to put in your heart whether you need Him or not. Whether you have him or not, he already has put in your heart that you need him. Whether you have him or not, let him share that with you. Would you let the Spirit reign? Release, release control. Give him the reins. Let God do what God does. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, Lord Jesus. And we're so thankful for the movement of the Spirit this morning. God, I, I, I claim victory today over death. Lord, not just death, but the separation that it causes apart from you, Lord. I claim victory in knowing you, Lord. I claim victory in being one with you, you being my God, and I'm being your son, Lord. I claim victory in that, God. I claim victory because the gospel gives victory. Lord, may we leave this place this morning knowing that we are victorious in Christ if we have Christ. Lord, would you continue to work on the hearts of your people here today? Would you work this week? Would you call us to you more and more into a deeper, deeper knowledge of who you are? Would we fall more in love with you, Jesus? It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Church, I love you. It's been great to be in the Lord's house today. I pray the Spirit continues to move. I'm going to ask Mark if you would close us in a word of prayer, brother.
so thankful that we have this opportunity to come to your house and worship. God. Yes, Lord. Lord, I just pray that our hearts are open to the message today, God. I pray, Lord, that your spirit just moves through. God, we give you the praise and glory for this day. We just, just, Lord, we lift up our nation. I just pray for our nation, our leaders, Lord, that they'll come to know you. And Lord, just help us, God. We love you. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Thank you.